Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hello, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. For you regular listeners, I apologize that I haven't uh, had a new podcast uploaded. Um, last week, I was traveling for a conference, and um, well, it was south of the border, my first time south, and I got stuck south of the border, couldn't get my COVID negative tests back in time to get my flight, and got stuck down there. And, Anyways, I am home. I am back. It was a great Adlerian conference in South Carolina, and I'm excited to be back doing another Q&A. Thank you for the questions. Um, today's episode is three questions, and they're all for our little younger people. So hope this is helpful. First question coming in. My almost five-year-old son, he'll be five in December, loves school, and I believe he is adapting well to the return of in-person education in senior kindergarten. However, four weeks ago, we received a message from his teacher that he had bitten one of his classmates. I was flabbergasted, as he has never even bit as a baby. Nevertheless, we had a serious family discussion at the dinner table brackets, my husband has not quite adapted to the concept of family meetings, and bracket, he shared with us that he bit his friend because he had asked the little boy to leave either him or his toy. And uh, I could not quite get a straight answer on this, but he asked them to leave them alone. And when he didn't leave them alone, he bit him. After he shared his story, we validated his frustrations and explained how he must handle his frustrations differently and that hurting others is never okay. We also reinforced this throughout the week at opportune times such as bedtime or dinner time. Our son seemed genuinely remorseful and prepared to do better the next time that he was frustrated. Much to my dismay, today I received my second incident report that he bit again. I am unaware of the circumstances or if it is the same boy because I will be asking him about it when he gets home. However, since our approach was unsuccessful last time, I wonder if you could share some wisdom as to what we can do at home to teach him that this is never appropriate. 
I am unsure if this is relevant, but he is a single child. That being said, he is very social, and we have never had issues in the park or during playdates. Signed, <laughs> mortified mama. Um, well, I'll tell you, I um, I have worked for many years uh, in nursery school settings where, you know, we kind of know that kids experiment with biting at kind of age appropriate at a certain age. I know you're saying five seems too old, but this is just a great little uh, jumping off point to use some theory before I give you my advice and answers. And the first piece I, I want to share with you is about our understanding of misbehavior. You know, you don't want him biting. It's not pro-social behavior. You've told him that. I think we can all agree it's a misbehavior. It's happened repeatedly. It's not um, cooperative behavior. And so going to uh, positive discipline in Jane Nelson, she reminds us that when we're looking at a child's behavior, that the behavior for the child, we call it a misbehavior. Because we see it as a problem. We don't want our kid biting. But the child doesn't see it as a misbehavior. The child sees it not as a problem, but rather as a solution. It is the solution to the problem that he's got a pesty friend who won't leave him alone. And so he is doing this as a it's, a, it's a sloppy solution. And it probably worked the first time. He probably got his friend to hand over the toy and got a little bit of space and held his ground. But uh, it's, um, it's a creative solution. But it's not a cooperative solution. And you've told this to him. And I think it's important that when we are discussing behavior, misbehavior, and, and these things with our kids, to know that they're very young and their brains really have a huge capacity for memory, unlike us old farts like me. And when you say it once, they get it. That when we start going on and on, it becomes like, first of all, it can appear as lecturing, which they become defensive against. Or it can sound like, why are you telling me this again? Don't you have faith in me that I've learned what you've taught me? So even though I know you're reviewing it at bedtime and dinner time, in a sense, we can be really adding further discouragement to the child by constantly going back and circling back. We want them to get the idea. I trust you. You know, we've talked about this. Bygones. You can always choose differently. That's a much more encouraging approach. So if you drop them off at school and say, now today, remember what we talked about. We're not going to bite our friends. You're kind of saying, I expect you to bite your friends. And you're priming the pump, uh, reminding them of that. So I would say at this point, uh, we want to like minimize the conversation. The education piece has been done there. So there's that. And in terms of saying it's not okay, I'm not sure. It's not enough to just tell kids don't do that, right? Don't drink, don't vape, don't bite, don't. The question is, what else will you do when somebody's grabbing your toy and someone's in your space? What will you do? And so maybe you rehearse this with them, but you might actually need to review that. And that can happen at play dates. That can happen through a role play. You can do it with little animals, his stuffed animals. You can just pretend it's a, a situation where somebody's not sharing or someone's two in someone's face with their little teddy bears and recreate a little situation and then have the teddy bears enact you know, I don't like that. You can have a turn after me. I want to play alone right now. I like you, but right now I need to have more space. I can't seem to solve this problem on my own. I think I might have to go get a teacher to help me out. I have no trouble with recruiting teachers if, if the power differential and the child can't get to a resolution, but it's not your first course of action. We want to teach our kids how to navigate social situations in the sandbox of life independently and, and on their own. Um, we don't want someone always sort of fighting our battle for us. So you might role play a bunch of different solutions, um, you know, that uh, that he likes. And um, and also to know that it might be helpful to know that most kids who are kind of like up in your face and whatever. They're kids who bite and kids who are in people's grills. It looks sloppy when you're five. 
But what you're really seeing is both children are trying to do a really sloppy form, an uncivilized form of connection. Connection, and that's a human requirement. We need to feel we belong. We need to to make relationships with one another. And some kids, kind of like the old anecdote of um, dipping the ponytail in the inkwell, you know, some kids actually go out of their way to pester a friend or bite a friend is an inappropriate way, but it's still connecting. You know, they could have picked anyone in the classroom to pester. You could have picked anyone in the classroom to try to connect with or let things roll off their shoulder. So um, so I would try to not be so mortified, Mama, <laughs> um, and, uh, and work with the teacher because uh, you can't really influence what happens in the classroom. The person supervising the children, you know, because behavior happens in the social field in which it occurs. So you can talk to the teacher about it, and express your concern and that you've done your part um, chatting with your son about this. But, you know, to have for the teacher to be aware and say that there's been some incidences and that they're trying to learn to speak up and try some new strategies. And if you notice that they're getting a bit frustrated, could the teacher just pay attention and have extra eyeballs to see if she can mediate and practice some of those social skills around sharing? And, you know, again, like it could be Looks like your friend would really like to play with you. He really wants to take your teddy bear away. Um, is there another way that you could play with your friend? Maybe the teddy bear could go in the little rolly car and you could both push it from behind. Or, you know, maybe the teddy bear is sick and in the hospital and you could be the doctor and he could be the nurse. So sometimes it takes creativity for the person that's supervising the play to help them figure out how to connect positively and how to work cooperatively in their play. And if he's an only single child... He's probably more naturally inclined and has spent more hours playing alone. And so um, that might be his his first go-to. And we're really showing him how to move from independent play uh, to parallel play to cooperative play, which is also a developmental task. And so there is a role for the, the supervising teacher EA there to, to help out. Um, so good on you. I think you did really great with that. So um, I hope those extra little tidbits of information were helpful as well. Next question. Hi, Allison. My three-and-a-half-year-old keeps sitting on his five-month-old baby brother. When he does this, he has an evil-looking smile on his face that is quite disturbing. There have been a lot of adjustments for him lately, having a baby, moving to a new house, starting at preschool. We are doing everything we can to try and prevent this. I make sure I have special one-on-one -on -one time with him when the baby's napping. I give him attention for good behavior. I empathize with him when he's upset. Even when we are having a good day and I feel I've given him enough attention, he'll go and sit on his brother and I can't figure out why he is doing it in that moment. It really scares me and my husband. So I realize we may be giving power to the situation by reacting as, as so. We take my son off the baby and say, I can't let you lay on your brother. That could hurt him. And then I turn my attention to the baby. I believe I should try to respond more calmly, but beyond that, what can I do in the moment when this happens, and what can I do to prevent it from happening at all? Thanks so much for your advice. I love listening to your pod podcast. Well, thank you for the question. So a couple things. Three-and-a-half-year-old's been dethroned, new baby in the family, and that's uh, common to have increased feelings of inferiority because we suddenly don't know our place in the family constellation. So that's on top of the moving to the new house and you know a lot of adjustments. He's really trying to find his sense of security in the family. And it seems right now his subjective perception of his brother is uh, still a little bit threatening. And uh, that'll get better with time probably in the sense that, you know, he, um, he'll start to learn to play better and take less of your time and they can kind of brother up a little bit more. 
Usually there's a second dethronement that happens around the age of one when the baby lying on its back suddenly learns how to walk and stand upright and get into the older sibling's stuff. And then they're like, oh, threat's back on again. So that can last for a little bit. So it's sort of a bimodal dethronement to expect. So yeah, he's a little insecure and you're doing all the right things. You're having that one-on-one time and you're trying to keep it on the lowdown by just being factual, not getting angry. It does not help to get angry when kids misbehave. Um that's just a form of emotional punishment. So I think the part of the little e- evil-looking grin is, I think that, to your point, it, he he has figured out a way to stump you. And um, and you don't know how to stop his behavior. And, and he does feel like maybe he's been a bit triumphant over his brother. And uh, I think that's why you're seeing the smile. It's the He's getting the win, the payoff. So we don't want him to reach his goal. So we don't want to get upset. And we don't want him to feel powerful. But what I would say is, is that we want to teach him about freedoms and responsibilities. If you'd like to be with your brother, then you need to be able to treat his body respectfully and keep him safe. And if you have trouble with that, then you two will need to be apart. So rather than just pulling him off, which is great, and you're doing it on the lowdown, but I would say I would say create a consequence that's just got a little bit more of a border to it so that he is realizing I would rather be with my brother and not sit on him than be alone sitting on the step. Or so some of the ways that I do it is I might put up a baby gate and just say, no, your baby brother's in with me in the kitchen where I'm making dinner right now. Um, It looks like you were having trouble being with him without sitting on him. So you'll need to stay on that side of the baby gate or, um, well, I'll need to put him up in the in the in a pack and play playpen or um, but you need to separate them. And um, and again, you don't have to do this for long. It doesn't have to be like a full-blown timeout. Um, not to say that you couldn't just guide him by the hand and sit him on the stairs and say, you know, when you'd like to play safely with your brother, come back and join us and just give him a moment if he'll go. But you want that delineated line that, you know, if you choose sitting on your brother, then you don't get access to him. And uh, and hopefully because you're going to be with the five-month-old because you got to look after him, that he's going to say, you know what, it might be a better choice for me to thwart my desires to sit on him because I'd rather be where the fun and the action is. And that's in with mom and my baby brother. So um, so I would try that. But, you know, you can always try again later. It could be just a short little consequence. But um, I think that'll get a little bit more traction for you. And he'll put that together. Be in the room where other people are. Treat other people safely. Can't treat people safely you get separated from the herd. (laughs) So there you go. Okay, last one I've got for you today is, Hi, Allison. My three-and-a-half-year-old struggles with being around people she's unfamiliar with, even family members we may not see on a regular basis. I'm not quite sure if she's extremely shy or she has social anxiety. It seems to be more of an issue with, with males, but she does make strange with females at times as well. For instance, when we see someone or people she isn't familiar with, she will hide behind me or my husband, hide in a corner or cover her face and will not say hi or interact with them. We notice it has become worse since the pandemic as she hasn't had much exposure to many other people during this time. It drives my husband and I crazy and we don't know how to handle this situation the correct way. So thank you. Well, I I do think during the pandemic, we haven't quite had as much opportunity to brush off our social skills. That's parents and children alike, and we are finding it a little bit harder. Um, But this is also kind of common childhood behavior where you like the familiarity of your nuclear family and and anybody else, um, you know, you might have some second guesses about. And so she may have a a rule that she's made in her private logic about how safe – she is out in the world and you know does she have a different rule for how men treat her versus females treat her um you know has there was there somebody like rough and brisk like a pediatrician who gave her a needle and she made a decision like all men 
you know, or can, can you know, stick things in my arms and I, I better be cautious with them. Who knows? You know, we'll never, we aren't going to really know at this age what the answer to that is. But she has somehow come up with something where she's not finding her courage to face the social challenges of life, which means that we need to meet people. That's one of the requirements of living in a collective society. We need to engage and connect and meet with people. And hiding behind your leg is avoiding the connection task. And so it's actually quite a form of, if you think about it, um, from a usefulness of behavior, teleological perspective, the usefulness of the behavior is is really um, passive power. It could be power, it could be attention. Uh, shyness is often passive power. If, if you think about it, you know, the kid who refuses to give their order to the waitress at the restaurant, what ends up happening? Mom and dad step in and do their work. So she's like holding her ground going, I refuse to speak. This is like selective mutism. I'm going to play my shy card and then everybody else is going to have to accommodate me. That's pretty darn, that's pretty darn strong. So it's important for us to not make that accommodation, to not provide an alibi for the reality of social living, which is you need to speak up. So if you don't give the order to the waitress, you don't get your apple juice or you don't get your french fries or what grilled cheese or whatever she was going to order. I think for parents, it's hard because you have likely got the the worry that if your kid is hiding behind your leg and not saying hi, that they're going to think that you're not training your child properly to be sociable and that somehow that falls on you. It Don't worry about other people's judgment. Just come up with a couple of lines that might be helpful, like something really on the lowdown. Instead of saying, like, come on, speak to our neighbor. Come on. You know, you know, Mr. Jones, he's the one that cuts our grass. Like, don't give it all that energy. You might just have a simple little thing where she crawls behind your leg. You kind of keep it on the lowdown. And you just say to Mr. Jones, we're practicing our hellos yet. She's just learning. Then you've got like a response that says, it's not like I don't know this is going on, but it kind of gets you off the hook if you're worried about feeling a sense of judgment or or whatever. And uh, and she's realizing that you're not all that impressed with this and you're not going to get busy with it. So if she got any secondary gain from attention or power, it's no longer getting any kind of payoff. And then in between... In between, you know, these social experiences that she's having, first of all, have more of them, you know, up the socializing if we can with our limits of, of COVID so that she's gets more chance to practice. But really, if she thinks that the world is kind of dangerous and, and she doesn't think that she's up for it, the kind of in-between times is really talking about how do we increase her self-esteem, her self-concept or, or her courage, the courage to be imperfect, the courage to be a humble human being and to go out there and make sloppy mistakes or the courage to go out there and have people assess you and, you know, whatever, think of you as a little kid or whatever, and increase her care and concern for her fellow man, and increase her social interest. And so any way that you can work on that, can you help her to be helpful to a neighbor? Can you comment on, oh, when you smiled at our neighbor, even though you had your mask on, I saw that you had your smiley eyes. And did you see his eye, his face lit up? You really know how to make people happy when you see them. Um you're so capable. You know how to make people smile. You're so you're so uh, helpful. It, that's the kind of infusion of encouragement that we really want to be putting on kids who may not be feeling courageous, even though, like I said, I think she's got some good passive power. She'll decide who she'll talk to, when she'll talk to, and she will put up a fuss if she's not going to talk to them. So she's fine that way, but we don't want to give her the the out. We we want her to, to understand it's a when we greet people, that's nice, and it's um, and it feels good, and it feels good. So don't make it that it's mandated, because kids don't like to do mandated manners, but they like to be part of a social herd and to to fit in and to adapt and adopt the behaviors 
in order to feel a sense of belonging with the others. This is how we say hi to people. This is how we go to restaurants. This is how we play in the playground. And and the more she's got those things, the more she's going to feel embedded and secure. So don't don't give her the easy alibi out just because right now it's making her uncomfortable as she practices. Does that make sense? But but neither give it too much energy. Don't rescue. Don't rescue uh, and, and don't inflate it. Uh, so there you go. That's our questions for this week. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.